Good morning. Welcome to Sailorville again. It's uh, great to have you with us. Pastor Pat is, uh, is not here yet this morning. We'll be back next Sunday to preach. And uh, we are in the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 as we work our way through this book. And um, I really appreciate it. I think maybe we have some of our Togo team that's back now, whether they're at church. I know they got in later last night. It's good to have some of them coming back to be a part with us. And uh, so it's great to have them back. As you look at Romans chapter 4, it's one of the most beautiful passages in all Scripture. When I looked at this chapter after listening to Brad as he preached, and I enjoyed his message last Sunday and uh, talking about the uh, propitiation, the sacrifice on our behalf, again, I just want us to try and come into a perspective here as we look at the book of Romans. And what I would look at this when I look at Romans chapter 4 It's the radical teaching of one being saved by faith alone, without any human effort involved at all. And, you know, when you look at the world, when Paul preached this message or wrote this book, that was radical teaching. Because they're trying to say, are you trying to tell me people are made right with God totally outside of human effort? And in that day, it would not have been acceptable at all. It was a radical message that Paul was preaching to them. Really, it's as radical today as it was back then. As we get into this passage, it'll become very, very clear. If you look at every major human religion that exists in this world, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Islam, and on and on it goes. Every single one of those religions would always teach that human effort is at the very center of making your life appealing to God, if that's a part of the system. But it's always human effort. It is always there. Always. In fact, in the major part of Christendom, it's still there. The message that we bring out of the word of God, as we'll see this morning, is a message that says you are saved by faith alone, totally separate from your acts. And at the moment that you embrace that, God counts you to be righteous. Some people say once saved, always saved, whatever you say. There's a large part of Christendom that has problems with that message because they too as they look at human existence, bring in human logic, and they say, there has to be some human effort involved in this. That only makes sense. And so it is a radical message that we're going to look at this morning as well in the world in which we live. So let's just read the uh, the verses that we want to look at this morning in Romans chapter 4, and try to get a sense of where we're headed. Paul continues in Romans chapter 4. In fact, there are several questions that are asked in Romans chapter 3, which I'm not going to go back, but you can look at. And as Paul shares this message of salvation, some would ask, well, 
is, is this just for the Jewish nation? You get that sense when you, when you come to the end of, of chapter 3 and you look at it, for instance, in verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Does this message really impact non-Jewish people as well? That's one of the questions. <clears throat> the other question that you sort of pick up at the end of chapter 3 is the boasting that takes place in the law. And the natural question for the Jewish mind was, Paul, if this message that you teach is true, what about the law? What use, what value does the law have? So in Romans chapter 4, Paul is going to come back to that and answer those objections as he goes through. So let's just read the passage, or at least part of the passage we want to look at. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted, not not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's the passage that we want to look at this morning. Now, again, one verse, and I'm going to keep coming back to this because there's such power in the word of God. And I want you to see this phrase, which is really the key phrase. It comes from the Old Testament, but much of the New Testament is based on the Old. It simply says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You'll see this phrase over and over again this morning. Now, keeping that in mind, let's just do a quick review of what Pastor Pat has covered as well as Pastor Brad. The beginning of the book talks about God's wrath poured out against all sin, and there is a wrath aspect of God against all of our sin. Number one, In Romans chapter 1, we learned that it was against the heathen because he refuses to believe the strong evidence of creation. We saw saw that in Romans chapter 1. So the wrath of God is poured out on them. The wrath of God is also poured out against the moralist because he judges others guilty, yet he himself practices the very same things. So the wrath of God is poured out on him as well. Then the third thing in Romans chapter 3, against the Jew, because he has God's law, but does not obey it. And so the wrath of God is poured out on the Jew. The conclusion of Romans chapter 2 and 3, or 1, 2, and 3, every person is declared guilty, according to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, where it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeketh after God. They've all gone aside. 
There is none that does good, no, not one. The wrath of God is poured out upon all because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All the world stands guilty before him. That's the message, and we need to state that very clearly. Now, with that in mind, again, we're coming back to this principle that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Then last week, Brad started with the great news And remember, he brought out, but now, even though there's condemnation, but now there's great hope because God's love is demonstrated in a propitiating sacrifice. And I loved the definition that Brad gave of propitiation. And what he said was, and I think he quoted from someone else, but it's still a great definition. Propitiation is a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Stating that when Jesus came, he absorbs our wrath to every person who will personally trust in his sacrifice. Jesus himself absorbs the wrath that we deserve. That's the good message in Romans chapter 3. And Brad made that very clear as we looked at that last week. Now, again, I keep coming back to this because I want you to have this memorized by the time we're done this morning so that you understand what the Word of God is teaching because it goes against human logic, and yet it's clearly being stated in the Word of God. Roman 4 answers the questions that we talked about. The law, in other words, the question was, is it? For more than the Jew, and secondly, what purpose does the law have? And now Paul begins to work his way through that. Now, just remember, in the day that Paul lived, Jewish thought was this. Salvation comes through human effort in keeping the law, resulting in boasting because of your human effort. In fact, when you look at your text, if you look at it with me, and I hope you have a Bible with you and can follow along, some of the verses are, are, are there, um, but we don't have them all on the screen. Look at 327. Where is boasting then? And Paul states, it's excluded. And Paul is simply trying to say, if there's no human effort, there's no boasting. And notice, he picks up the boasting theme as well in chapter 4 that we've already read in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by the works, he has something to boast about. And so as you look at this whole idea, the Jewish thought was salvation comes through human effort. And that's the way they work. Remember, the person that is writing this letter is a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. At the same time, his father was a Pharisee. He grew up with this thought, this mindset, that observance of the law, the better you can keep the law, the better chance you have to get to heaven. That's the way it works in the Jewish mind. That's the way it worked in Paul's mind as he would go through this. But in fact, as, and he anticipates where these men are as they listen to Paul. And Paul is saying, you're saved by faith alone with no human effort. The Jewish mind would say, wait a minute then. All my obedience to the law has no value? All my sacrifices that I offer before God, there's no value? 
All the dietary laws that I keep, no value. Honoring the feast days that I do day after day, no value. All of my separation from the Gentiles, all of my knowledge, all of my past. Are you trying to tell me that has nothing to do with my salvation? I cannot believe that. Paul knows they're saying that because that's where he was. Now, there's a lot of application to the t- today as you look at it. In fact, I will say to you, when this idea was presented to me that you could be saved by faith alone without any human effort, I went through the very same thought process that Paul did, but in my system. I would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. He didn't say, Doug, that witnessed to me, he didn't say this to me, but I thought this through because he was saying by a simple act of faith, you can be right before God instantly. And I said, that doesn't make any sense to me either. I grew up in a system where you would receive sacraments, and the more you received them, the more grace that you built up, the better your chance was to make it to heaven. I grew up where good works were still a part of life and you wanted to do that again to improve your chances. I would go to communion. I would try to stay away from mortal sin. I would try to live according to the catechism that was taught to me. I tried to stay away from sin. All of those things. And when Doug came to me, he said, no, Chuck, it's just by, it doesn't compute to me. This doesn't make sense to me. And what I am saying, as we work with people, and I know many of you raised in a church like this, this is common thought to you. But what I want to say to you is the world out there has a very difficult time understanding this very simple precept. In fact, I will say to you, they can't understand it. Why? There's probably other illustrations. For instance, if someone was raised in an evolutionary family with it evolution is the only thing that makes sense when they hear the words of creation what's their first response that is really strange or someone that's a radical islamist who has heard all of his life that there was no holocaust it never existed it never happened that's all they've heard all of their life and then someone said you don't understand history It sounds strange in their ears. And to the people who feel that human effort has some part in salvation, and they're convinced of it, they grew up with it, when you come and say that a person is saved by faith alone, they might nod their heads, okay, I understand that, but they really do not understand that at all. It doesn't compute to them. And that's why Paul is coming here, and he's endeavoring to teach the whole idea of being saved by faith alone. And that's what we have here in Romans chapter 4. Paul's answer, as you look at Romans chapter 4, the answer is justification, being declared righteous by God, comes only through faith. And I want to underline this, totally separate from human works. Now watch how careful he is to make sure that you understand what he's saying here. 
Look at chapter 3, verse 21. This is the verse that Brad covered, but I just want to go back and underscore because this is one of the main tenets of this whole passage. This is totally separate from human effort. Notice verse 3, chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law, totally separate from the law, totally separate from any human effort to keep the law. He wants to make sure that you understand that. So he repeats it again as, as you look at 328. Now notice what he says there. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Now watch the words again. Apart from the deeds of the law. Totally separate from human effort. It's totally separate. It's apart from that. When you get to Romans chapter 4 verse 4. Now, it is interesting as you read this, notice in verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, notice it doesn't say works of the law there because the law was not in place when Abraham lived. We'll get to that later. But notice verse 4, again, Paul, very careful here. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, But believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Now several things. Notice how carefully he writes this. It is not by any work at all. It is interesting when you look at that verse. Justifies. You think justifies the godly person, right? Uh, No. It goes back to what we've already studied. He justifies the ungodly because we're all ungodly before God, no matter what works are employed. So that's what he's trying to say. As you look at that, number one, Paul's answer is justification comes through faith totally, totally separate from any human effort whatsoever. He's trying to make that so clear. Now, number two. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is based on Scripture because here's what's happening. The people that are around Paul are saying, Paul, you come up with these great ideas, sound so good to you and to your crowd, but all they are are ideas. They're, They're just ideas, Paul. It's not true what you're saying. And so Paul very wisely says, and I love these words and you should always use them, okay, I hear what you're saying, But what does the scripture say? Great question, isn't it? What does the scripture say? Reminds me of the old Puritan who said, I only want to know two things. I want to know, number one, does God speak? And number two, if God speaks, what does he say? That's a great statement. Because God's voice silences any human argument. And that's where Paul is at here. Now watch what he does as he goes through, because what does the scripture say? Now here's what he quotes from. Now this is very, very interesting, because Paul is going to quote, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He's going to take it from Genesis chapter 15. This is the passage that's being quoted. After these things, after Abraham was in the promised land, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. This is just after he he rescued Lot. I am a shield. Your reward shall be very great. 
But Abraham wasn't so, he wasn't thinking. He was troubled at this time. Abraham was very troubled because he had lived in the promised land for 10 years. God had promised him an inheritance, but he didn't have a son. And so his heart's troubled. So he says, but Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And so God, if you don't give me a child, then Eliezer is going to be the heir. That's all I can think of. I can't change this, God. And Abraham continued to say, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, this Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now again, Abraham is old. Sarah is old. It's almost impossible to have children with Sarah. It was impossible. And he brought him outside and he said to Abraham, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Now that sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense to us as far as living in the city because we don't see very many stars. We just visited our daughter and son-in-law who live um, north of Waverly and they're out in the country, they said, you should see the stars out here. And I remembered my time when I was in Ecuador going to a camp and we were way out in the Andes Mountains up on a rural camp and I remember laying down, looking up. I'm telling you, when there's no artificial light, the stars just fill the heavens. It is so awe-inspiring. And I just remember, I couldn't believe there's that many stars. That's what Abraham saw. And then he said, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God said, Abraham, you look at those stars and I'm telling you, your offspring is going to be just like that even though you don't have a son right now. I'm telling you it's going to be true. Now watch how Abraham responds. And... Here's where the whole New Testament is based, justification. And he believed the Lord. And at that very moment that he believed the Lord, God counted his faith to him as righteousness. What a beautiful statement, because it's at that point that Abraham is justified before God simply because when God said that statement, his heart totally embraced it, totally believed what God said to him. And therefore, God counted it to him as righteousness. What a beautiful thought, beautiful story, but that's exactly what is being used to build Paul's argument here in Romans. So what do we have? The doctrine of justification by faith alone is based on, on scripture what does the scripture say and not only does he use it with abraham look at your passage again then he goes down and he starts to speak about david and then he says god imputes it to david as righteousness apart from the works and then he goes to the book of psalms and he goes right back to scripture and he's saying to his opponents listen to me this is what the word of god teaches and has always taught Powerful, powerful argument as you go through. It occurs at the time of faith. Number two, it happens fairly early in Abraham's life. Now, you need to keep this in mind to understand this whole chapter well. Here's the timeline. 
Abraham's timeline. He comes into the land of Canaan when he's about 75 years old. He then, the next one, I'm going to drop down to 86. Ishmael is born through Hagar. You'll have to read that story. I can't do the whole thing when he's about 86. He's circumcised at 99. Isaac is born at 100. The sacrifice of Isaac is about when he's 120. Abraham finally dies at 175. Fairly old, older than what we normally live now. But I simply... Nobody's quite that old here yet, are they? (laughs) I simply want you to pick up on this. This is so important for you to understand the life of Abraham. God is coming to Abraham when he's not even half as old as he's going to be, and and he declares Abraham to be just. Now think about it for a while. If there is any human effort at all in our salvation, can God declare someone righteous before he dies? He can't. And that's where most people struggle. And I'm going to tell you, I do Bible studies with numbers of different people. In the first study, I would often say, I used to think that you would finish your life, then God would say, he'd look at your life, he'd evaluate, then he'd tell you if you have eternal life. But the study that I give, I said, you can know that you have eternal life right now before you ever die. And the only reason that that's true is, and the only way it could be true, if it's not based on any human effort whatsoever. If human effort is involved in this, God cannot declare someone righteous before he dies because you're not sure what the human effort is finally going to deliver. But God is making this statement to you and he's making it to me. I can declare someone righteous before they ever die because it's not based on one ounce of human effort. It is based solely on faith and faith alone. That's powerful to me when you consider the life of Abraham, but that's what Paul is trying to argue to his opponents. And and, you know, the great thing to his opponents, the opponents said, well, Abraham's our hero. And God is saying, then look and consider Abraham's life. Very powerful. Now, as you go through this, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is based on Scripture. It occurs at the time of faith. It happens early in Abraham's life, and it's instantaneous. It's not a process. That's what a lot of people like to think about. It's a process. You keep working at it. No, it happened at that point in Abraham's life. Boom, it happened right there, right then. Another thing, it was never revoked. Even though Abraham's life was far from being perfect, if you follow Abraham's life, after God declared him to be righteous, shortly after that, their faith shakes a little bit. They have Ishmael because they can't seem to trust God. Abraham still lies when he goes down in in a famine and says, Sarah, you're my sister. Abraham's life was not perfect. It never was. Yet it never changed that declaration that he was righteous all the way back when he was about 85 years old. It never changed, even though it was perfect. Again, why? It's not based upon human effort at all. It happened 500 years before the law was given. 
you Jewish leaders who are so adamant about following the law, of being zealous for the law, I want you to know Abraham never had the law. He's saying, look at Scripture is what he's saying. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, here's several statements that Lenski in his commentary wrote that I think are interesting and we should entertain. When Abraham believed, he was in his own person no more righteous than he was before he believed. But God counted his faith as righteousness. It did not change Abraham. It changed his status with God. And that becomes so important because I remember as this truth was brought out to me, I would say to Doug, Doug, I think I need to be a little bit better before I entertain this because I need to clean up my act. I need, and Doug was, Doug, you'd say, Chuck, you don't do that. It's a change in status simply because of your faith. It's not dependent upon you. And that's what he's saying here. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. The believer really and in himself is never righteous. He is righteous only in God's accounting system. Christ's merit and righteousness is his own. God counts it as though it were the believers. It's not your righteousness. It's totally separate from you. God simply counts it When you embrace the cross, that's what's being said here. Just a powerful, powerful statement as we look at it. I keep going back to this because this one verse, if you'll get this in your mind, it'll guide you. Abraham believed God, and at that point, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Here's a thought from the other side. For those who still have not embraced, this is what's going on. You prevent God from counting you righteous by not believing. If you won't embrace the cross as your only hope and believe, then you prevent God from counting you to be righteous, which he wants to do. And I pray that you'll understand that if you're struggling here and you say, I've got to be better. No, you simply have to believe. That's the whole idea. Now, as you look at this, because Abraham was justified, and again, I I urge you to read the book of Genesis, Abraham was justified in Genesis chapter 15 before the official start of the Jewish nation, which many say starts when God tells Abraham to be circumcised in his followers. That's the sign of the Jewish nation. But what's so interesting is he was actually declared righteous before the Jewish nation actually started. And Abraham's whole point here is, yes, this principle of faith is not only good for the Jews, it's all also good for the Gentiles because Abraham actually was declared righteous by faith before the Jewish nation actually started in that sense. So he's arguing that he becomes the father of all believers. And Pat will cover more of that in, in Romans chapter But one thing I do want you to see um, as as we go through this, just glance in your scriptures one more time. 
Notice he comes down to David then, verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from the works. So why does he use David now? Here's the thing. You see, Abraham was never under the system of the law because Abraham lived about 2,000. Moses lived about 1,500. David lived about 1,000. So Abraham is way prior to the time of the law. But David is past the time of the law. He is part of the Mosaic system. But here's the reason why Paul writes this. Even when the Mosaic system started, it never, never, never changed this principle of faith. Because Abraham on the Mosaic law, look at your passage again. It says this, he quotes from Psalms. God imputes righteousness totally apart from human effort. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. This happened to David under the Mosaic system. The principle of faith started with Abraham. It travels all the way through Moses. It travels into David's life. And on from there, the Mosaic law never interrupted this principle of faith. That's always. And again, to the Jewish mind, the opponents, Paul, this is, your thoughts are against, it can't. But Paul is simply saying, look at the word of God. This is what your own law teaches as you go through. Now, just finish it up with just several Several thoughts here as, as, as we go through. It's instantaneous, and it, it gives total righteousness. And then the whole idea is, is why is this passage so important to us? Here it is. Just three things, just to finish up. One, the principle of justification or salvation through faith characterizes both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's always been the same. It's always faith. Two, it is faith alone that saves a man. He is declared righteous, totally separate from works. And so what we're saying is when you understand the message of the cross, that Jesus died, took your whole punishment, this becomes so important as you work with people. Because as you think of it, many times you say, well, Lutherans, they believe in Christ. Catholics believe in Christ. Methodists believe in Christ. They all believe in Christ. They're all saved, right? Now listen to what Paul is saying. He is saying this, that they, if you embrace the cross and the cross alone to save you, that's what gains righteousness before God. If in your mind, Christ is only a part of the price, that yes, it's nice that he died for me, and, and that's great, but I know it's my faithfulness and my obedience along with that, that will make me saved. What I'm saying to you, you are not embracing the cross. It's Christ's sacrifice alone, totally separate from human effort. You have to cast your whole confidence on that one sacrifice for everything. And that's why there's many in the so-called Christendom that say they believe in Christ. They're not. 
because their trust is not resting in that sacrifice alone. It's resting in a number of things. And that's why this verse I love so much. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So what perfects us? Our works? Our effort? You say, no, just the one sacrifice. That's it. And so, as you consider this, in the third thing, the last thing, if that's true, you can be declared righteous early on in life, and it remains truth for all eternity, and you can know for sure that you're saved if it's based exactly on what Paul is teaching right here. So I would say to you, you that have embraced the one sacrifice for everything, it doesn't mean you're righteous in the way that you live, although it should impact how you want to live. You've been declared righteous, and that will never be revoked it should cause your heart to rejoice inwardly that Christ's sacrifice would do that for us. If you're here this morning and you've never believed, I simply want to say your simple embracing of the cross would allow Christ, allow God to declare you to be righteous, a standing that you'll never, never lose. So my question as we close, where is your confidence this morning? If it's partly in yourself, then you've never totally embraced the cross. But I will say, if you totally embrace the cross to do everything, to totally save you forever, and you embrace that at the moment that you do, God declares you to be righteous and that'll never change. Doesn't mean your lives are going to be perfect. Because Abraham's wasn't. He was declared righteous when he was in the middle of his life. God will declare you righteous because of your faith and nothing more. Let's pray. Father, you know every heart here. You know where they're at. I know there's a good group that has totally embraced the cross, the cross alone for their salvation. I praise God for that. And I pray that our appreciation for that would grow and grow and grow every day. That our hearts would be so encouraged. So Father, help us to understand that even clearer as we study your word. Father, there are some here that may not have that clear understanding. And maybe this is the first time they're beginning to understand that. Father, my prayer is that even right now, their heart, just like when Abraham looked at the stars and he believed, maybe right now, wherever someone is seated, they look at the promise of Christ and their heart believes. And I pray that's you. If that's true, then God has declared you to be righteous. Father, we thank you for the great, great offering of your Son.
the wrath-absorbing sacrifice that took away all our guilt and our righteousness is dependent only on the cross, nothing more. Thank you for that great message of Romans 4. And Father, may it cause us to rejoice. Will it bring people to you? This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.